0: What we want to maximize is not expected return, it's not expected wealth, it's some kind of risk adjusted wealth or risk adjusted return. And we all know that but we have to be really careful that we don't fall into a trap of maximizing expected value or expected money or expected return. To hear more about managing risk in the face of uncertainty, subscribe to PGIM's The Outthinking Investor in your favorite podcast app. pushkin
1: the cool kids in markets are pessimists but good news inflation in the u.s is lower a lot lower don't know if you remember it being stuck at around nine percent but we've come right back down to three percent growth is good it looks like investors might have to stop worrying and learn to love the rally can we all be happy are we there yet This is the Unhedged podcast from the FT and Pushkin. Ethan, I'm afraid, is out today. I'm Katie Martin in London. I'm joined down the line from New York by Rob Armstrong, who writes the Unhedged newsletter in New York. Rob, what are we going to do without Ethan to make us look clever?
0: Well, as a professional unhappy person, (laughs) uh, I am here to reign all over your optimism, Katie. (laughs) I don't know how I'm going to do it. I agree with you. The data is alarmingly good, but I'm going to find a way.
1: Oh, God bless you. So, look, I mean, (laughs) it it does look like we're kind of there, right? Inflation has come back down to 3%. The sky hasn't fallen in. The central banks haven't hiked us into a horrible recession. Shouldn't we all just cheer the heck up?
0: That latter point, it would be one thing if the Fed had done 500 basis points, also known as five percentage points of rate hikes, and we were now in the economic doldrums. Mm. But they've done that, and growth still seems pretty good. We are still adding jobs, wages are okay, the consumer is still okay, the banks that have reported have told us that bad debts are not piling up at an alarming rate. Yeah. It looks like a healthy economy. Whisper
1: it, but maybe...
0: Whisper it after after the <laughs> Fed takes action to try to cool it off. This is a remarkable turn of events.
1: So listen, look, let's just dig down a little bit deeper into the inflation numbers. 3% headline inflation was the number that yep. rolled in last week. Are you going to be one of these tedious inflation truthers off the internet who's going to tell me that actually... <laughs> Actually, it's much higher.
0: No, it is coming down. I mean, if you take out the drop in energy costs and food costs, so-called core inflation is still too high.
1: Mm. And it should be about 2%, right? That's where the it Fed... should be about 2%
0: yeah. and, and it's over 4 still, but it's going the right direction. Yep. And if you look at what we're comparing to a year ago the numbers were lapping, as it were, the trend ought to continue in the benign direction it's been going. Yep. So, I'm not an inflation truther. This is good news. And the interesting thing is that the fact that this is happening at the same time growth is good, it means we, we sort of have to reconsider why inflation happened in the first place and what's going to happen to it now.
1: So, uh, have Central Bank has won- are they the heroes of the hour? Have they actually done this? Or has this got nothing to do with them?
0: No, I think they've won by mistake, Katie, which is, <laughs> I mean, I think that still counts in most sports. But the point is, because growth is, is still strong and inflation is coming down, it looks like what happened is a supply shock bout of inflation. Yeah. We had this weird pandemic. We threw in a weird war on top of that. Prices took a one-time jump up. And that jump in certain prices took a couple of years to sort of bubble through the economy. You know, the guy who makes the metal had to raise the prices, and then the guy who makes the nails, and then the woman who builds the house, and then the broker has to charge more. When you have a supply shock, it takes time to work its way through the different sectors of the economy. Yeah. And it seems to have kind of worked its way through. So there is an argument that a few people were making that what the Fed did actually isn't the thing that brought the inflation down. It was just time. So our colleague, Martin Sandbu, has been saying for some months, if you guys will just relax, this problem will take care of itself. And nobody (laughs) likes to hear that from a Norwegian socialist. Never. Never. But the guy is looking like he might have been right. And so maybe the Fed hikes, which you yeah. and I have been writing about continuously for 18 months, yeah. didn't matter that much. I mean, it really is a sort of professional embarrassment <laughs> if you think about it. Yes.
1: So so given that, right, is it time for people who manage money for a living to just cheer up? I mean, look, the S&P is up 18%, 1.8 so far this year. The NASDAQ composite yes. is up 36%. And still, you have big investment houses like JP Morgan Asset Management, for example, saying this is too good to be true. We still think there has to be a proper recession to get inflation durably down at the target level. Markets are priced per- for perfection. There's no room for error. There's got to be some sort of pullback. I'm not saying they're wrong. I don't have a crystal ball, but it's weird how people are determined to stick to this kind of bearish view that there has to be a recession and that markets have to pull back. I mean, do they?
0: Human beings hate changing their minds. That is part of the story here. It's been painful for me to change my mind a little <laughs> bit about this. My mind doesn't change as quickly as it did when I was a young man. Uh, <laughs> but there's two threads you you raised there that are both worth talking about. One is are we getting a kind of inflation head fake?
1: Uh Uh-huh, yeah.
0: And I think that's a bit of a legitimate worry because historically in incidents of high inflation, it's not been particularly stable, right? It's bounced up and down a lot in past, in in at least the classic incidents of the 70s and early 80s. So are we getting head faked?
1: Is it messing with us?
0: Is it messing with us? Don't trust it, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And... The second thread you pulled out is the price to perfection point, especially for U.S. stocks. They are still much more expensive than every other asset in the world. It's mad. They're reasonably they're expensive.
1: And also, right, so there's a few tech stocks that obviously, as we've discussed before, are doing super, super well. Tech yeah. stocks are defensive right now. So, so they're doing well, even in an environment where when interest rates have been rushing higher. But They've never escaped a recession before. They've only been defensive during COVID, basically. What if that's the anomaly? What do, you know, if there is a recession, there's nothing to say that they do well again like they did in 2020 because it's just like Correct. different.
0: And primarily the thing that's different is interest rates are higher. Hmm. It is interesting that we got this tremendously good report on inflation and stocks barely went up and bonds barely moved as well. Yeah. So short term rates are still up around 5%. Long term rates are still up, you know, at the kind of four ish, three, eight ish long term rates. And stocks were kind of like, we've been partying for six (laughs) months already. We don't need to party just because of this news, right? So it tells you something about the valuation of the market and worries that inflation may be tricking us. Yeah. That though the two biggest asset classes didn't throw a celebration when these great inflation numbers came out.
1: No, but they didn't head the other way either. And the way that that one investor put it to me recently is look, okay, you've got decent growth, you've got inflation under control, brackets, not you, UK. We'll come on to you another time. <laughs> <laughs> We've got the consumers looking great. The job market, okay. It weakened slightly, but it's still looking great. And I don't know if you remember, there was a banking crisis in the States in March that, like, no one talks about anymore because we've all just moved on.
0: It just went away.
1: You know, the Fed got its fire extinguishers out and just, like, made that whole thing go away. Disappear. You know, so the Fed backstop is still there. Their willingness to extinguish fires is still there. So you've got the Fed put still in place. You've still got that, you know, that safety net from the central bank. You've got all that kind of positive news on the uh, economic front yeah manufacturing's got some cracks this and that but you know what's not to like it it feels like a very uncomfortable place to be to be arguing with the scale of the rally that we've seen in risky assets so far this year
0: yes but for the first time in many years i am getting paid to wait mm. right so if i still have a few if i still have a few lingering worries about the valuation of stocks i now get a real return on a credit-risk-free treasury bond yeah. portfolio. So what we're talking about is is Tina.
1: This is such a I want to say segway. Tina is
0: dead, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way about <laughs> Tina Turner. <laughs> I mean it in a total and about there is no alternative.
1: Yeah. We were talking about this, Ethan and I, uh, last time around. We were talking about the demise of Tina. There is no alternative. There used to be a point where bond yields were so rubbish that you had no alternative really than to put your money into stocks and into other risky stuff. Tina, I'm afraid, is dead. Or maybe I'm happy to say Tina is dead. What is the new acronym that we use to replace Tina? I've been trying to make buying ordinary notes and debt securities, i.e. bonds, a thing. Yes. Someone sensibly pointed out to me that's actually bonads, if you include the and. (laughs) So we decided not that. And we asked our dear listeners this time last week for their suggestions. Some of them, listeners, were awful. However, the gold star goes to Kevin Gordon from Charles Schwab, who came up with Barbara do you know what Barbara is, Rob? I don't. Bonds are really back and really attractive. How'd you like that?
0: I like it, and I think it's going to take off. Yeah, the Barbara trade.
1: I think well, we can make it. Why a aren't thing. stocks
0: going up, Barbara?
1: Yeah, yeah, blame Barbara. If you wanted to be like super zeitgeisty, you could, I guess, shorten it to Barbie. You are the
0: pink paper. We <laughs> are the pink paper. Bonds are really
1: back in earnest in earnest how about that happening i mean so look barbie barbara perhaps listeners can again tell us which they prefer but i think i think this can work we will be back in a minute with long short
0: there is a quality bias that um that has overtaken a lot of the desires for investors And so the reason we suspect that's happening is there's a fear that, you know, given this historical rate hiking cycle around the world, there's a lot of uncertainty, obviously. To hear more about managing risk in the face of uncertainty, subscribe to PGIM's The Outthinking Investor in your favorite podcast app.
1: Okay, now it is time for long short, where you can be long or short of whatever you like, which means that you either love it or you hate it. It can be anything, bond, stock, a sport, whatever you fancy. I am going to be long credit trading. So corporate bonds, the way that they change hands has been stuck in the dark ages for like ever. They're like largely traded over the phone. It's a little bit pathetic. Now, Citadel Securities, run by Ken Griffin, has started getting into this game and facilitating trades in corporate bonds. So it sounds like maybe this whole industry is going to get dragged kicking and screaming out of the dark ages. Rob, what have you got?
0: I'm going to really scandalize you, Katie. I am going to be short the dry martini.
1: Oh for heaven's sake.
0: And I'm telling you why. Now I I make it a practice to drink my weight in dry martinis every year. So this is a big this <laughs> is a big, a big conversion. <laughs> but last night it was a hot, sweaty day in New York yesterday, and I went to one of our local speakeasies, a place called the Commerce Inn, and their house martini is half vermouth. Uh,
1: and it's served what? very
0: cold. I know this sounds chilling, but on a summer day, sweltering heat. Hmm. You don't want to try to cool yourself off by drinking pure gin. No. I've tried this. (laughs) It is a bad idea. (laughs) And the half vermouth martini was delicious. And I drank several and I felt refreshed.
1: Can I ask, what's the going rate for a martini in New York City these days? You
0: don't even want to know. Okay. I think (laughs) think if you pay $19, you're getting a bargain.
1: Aye chihuahua. Okay. It's a
0: big drink, but it's $19.
1: Yeah. Well, look, it stops you from drinking loads of them, which is probably a good thing.
0: Speak for yourself.
1: Yeah, Rob, always a pleasure. Talk to you soon.
0: <laughs> okay, thank you, Katie.
1: That's it for now. We'll be back on Thursday. Unhedged is produced by Jake Harper and edited by Brian Erslatt. Our executive producer is Jacob Goldstein, and we had additional help from Topher Forges. Cheryl Brumley is the FT's Global Head of Audio. Special thanks to Laura Clark, Alistair Mackey, John Schnaz, Eric Sandler, and Jess Trulia. FT Premium subscribers can get the Unhedged newsletter for free. A 90-day free trial is available for everyone else. Just go to ft.com unhedged offer. I'm Katie Martin. Thanks for listening.